Welcome to Sci-Fi. I am your host, Jesse Mercury, and I am here with Andrew Lee Creech. Woo! This is so exciting. It's yes. been so long. It's so exciting to be back. Absolutely. Yeah, you were one of my early guests yes. a long, long time ago. Mr. Burns. Yes. And mm-hmm. we talked the first we did a two-part episode, and the first part was called The Race to Hominoptra. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan Fraser, shout it's, out. That's still actually one of my favorite episodes that I've done. Yeah. That, like that episode where we talked about the mummy. Yes. <laughs> where it's we so just like, like b- bullshitted for the first hour of our recording. It was really fun. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming back. I just ran into you recently and I was like, man, why have we not done this again? And uh, and now we're doing it again. So we're fixing the problems in the space time continuum. <laughs> that's that's what we do. Well, you know, one problem at a time. Yeah. Save Although you did come on Sci-Fi on Trial, and that was a really good good time. That's right. Well, yeah. I did. So I did like a, I think an interview for right. episode one. The, like the Menace. very first one we did. Yeah. Right. And then we did the Matrix. Sequels. Yeah. Which was the the last one that happened. <laughs> So you oh, was it? Okay. That show. Oh, wow. Although, I mean, not necessarily last ever, but the last that happened. The most recent. Recently. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I really want to do The Last Jedi, and I want you to be a part of it. Oh, my God. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm, oh, I have so, oh, I have thoughts. Yeah. I, thoughts I don't know on when. Thoughts on thoughts. I don't know when or how that's going to happen, but I put a lot of thought into maybe recording that podcast as a live stream. Like, Word. Actually having audience participation, if people want to come and vote. Ooh. And have them be like a, a member of the tribunal. So do like four <laughs> instead of five people, do four people plus chat, and then just do like the entire like three hour long recording session, you know, or however long it is. Could be like I call so and so to the stand, <laughs> right? Because that is it's such a divisive film, you know. Yeah, totally. Well, what are your thoughts, thoughts on it in general? But, I mean, before we dive into that, we are we're we we gather here today to talk about the Orville, and that's yes. our intention. So let's talk about Star <laughs> Wars: The Last Jedi because I I want to know your thoughts. Star Wars: The Last Jedi. I feel that uh, I'll probably never meet Ryan Johnson. You know it's going to happen now that you right? put that out in the universe. <clears throat> but I personally feel like he was just so obsessed with burning down everything that ever was about. Like sure. he seemed to really just the film, and I, to a certain extent, I get it because this whole this new trilogy of films really is about passing the torch to these right. uh, to this new generation of, to of the heroes. millennial. Skywalker yeah. generation. I get that. Um, but I don't agree with the ways in which we did that in The Last Jedi. And I just feel like it betrays everything I know about storytelling. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like he did stuff that doesn't make any sense with the... Like, he... Not only did he just decide to throw out stuff for the hell of it, but he, in doing so, also broke the universe. Wow. In my opinion. Like, I don't... I have. Tell me, what do you mean specifically broke the universe? Like, which specific part? So, dig this. In my understanding... First of all, I haven't done the research. I don't know. But in my understanding of of light speed and maybe you can <laughs> I knew you were gonna maybe go you can talk speed. to me about this maybe Let's i'm talk wrong about right and my you're probably not wrong <laughs> it's not just going really really fast 
And yeah. everything I've ever seen on Lightspeed, it's almost like a, a portal or a wormhole opens up and you go through that. And that's what you travel through and you pop out on the other side. But yeah, in the last specifically jet- in Star Wars, we, yeah. that's what we've seen. Like they they call it, you know, hyperspace. Right. It's not space. They're in they're like entering a point in hyperspace and exiting another. Exactly. And when they're in hyperspace, you see the stars whirring by. Right. Actually, that image of stars whirring by is what I stole as the background of my YouTube like logo. Yes. It's my head over the stars <laughs> yeah. from Star Wars. Yes, yes. Because yes. I love that image. Like those stars expanding and you as you pop into hyperspace is iconic. Continue. Totally iconic. Yes, yes. I'm with you. And it's amazing, and I get it, and I love it. Ryan Johnson has wiped his ass with that and yeah. has now just said that hyperspace, it's just going very fast. And that's how we are uh, just plowing through all of those, what, First Order ships at the end, right? Hmm. Is, that the, is that the understanding there, that we're just I have going no fast idea. and blasting through these ships? And then, and then the whole chase scene where the ship is running out. That's of what gas. I was thinking about was the chase scene. <clears throat> and I'm like, okay, so from my end, again, I haven't done the research, but I've assumed this whole time, yeah, uh, in the Star Star Wars universe, that these ships had some sort of reactors on board that they generated their own power. I wasn't aware that they're running on unleaded gasoline <laughs> and that you could just. <laughs> and they all we buy need, it from the same. I don't know, folks. Arco. We need to find the Texaco. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we're running low. We got so I'm like, okay, yeah. so we've wiped our ass with that. I they're just. This is an interesting time to live in because to be an engaged fan in all, like literally all of the franchises that are running for a long time, like we're all having to like either accept things that that directly contradict the old, or like reject the new yeah. if that makes sense like star trek discovery is another great example where season one of that like i just rejected because i just didn't <laughs> because it made so little sense for me mm-hmm. so i'm just like this is not my star trek and now i'm like season two of discovery which i know you haven't seen yet right uh and i was telling you last time i saw you it is amazing it's like really great and it's great in a very specific way that is new to star trek while being rooted in the past of star trek and it is fucking good but there are still moments in it that make no fucking sense where they just like drop all of science and technology and like everything that makes sci-fi geeks like us tick you know right like the specifics of how time travel work in back to the future are so fun and i love them so much yes and the specifics of how time travel works in endgame Okay. Um, now oh, wait, I, I'm sorry. I didn't even ask if you've seen it yet. <gasps> yes, I have seen Endgame. So let's talk about Endgame for just a second here. Okay. Light spoilers. There's time travel in it, um, and the mechanics of it make no sense. But the they're asking us to just kind of accept it and go along because that's what the story that they're trying to tell. And I feel like that's the age we're entering into. Is like, don't worry about the specifics and just hand wave away the specifics and say this. The story we're telling needs these specifics. So they're changing mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. And I I feel weird about that. Like, I don't really like that. I mean, even yeah. Game of Thrones, the final season of Game of Thrones feels that mm-hmm. way to me. Are you watching that show? No, I'm not. Okay, then we won't talk about that. But it, feel, it feels very similar. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, detach myself. Because, like, I get upset yeah. about these things. So I'm, like, actively trying to care less. And it's been this, like, kind of a relief. Because I don't really care what happens in Game of Thrones. I didn't right. really care what happened in Endgame. Um even the last Jedi, I honestly didn't really. 
it didn't upset those inconsistencies bothered me yes. but didn't upset me because i didn't care and i there's a part of me that's like upset that i didn't care like i should care about star wars yeah yeah so you like you i feel good that i've detached and that's nice but i'm mad that i don't care as much as i used to because that feels sad yeah so just life is so, bad so you're <laughs> basically what i'm saying but you're putting forth something really interesting and in that this is perhaps the age that we're entering in terms of storytelling and I, 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 sorry go ahead i don't know i just uh that's not the age i want to live in <laughs> right right um, you like, know and it, but yeah. you're I, and you can see it i have the same problem with the simpsons right mm-hmm. and it's a show that's been going literally since the the year i was born it's it's been it's in it's, it's 30th season now but i can't tell you how many iterations of uh of homer and marge's like high school day, like the way they met, their romantic, oh my like their relationship in the early years. There are so many different iterations of these things. And I'm like, when you bring new writers into the writer's room, I feel like you must honor what has come before. Yeah. I just, I, I just believe that to be true about storytelling. I do also. If it's a one-off yeah. thing that no, you, then maybe you can wipe your ass with, time travel specifics if it's i'm just i just need this to work in order to tell this one story right but if this is a part of a legacy if this is something that has been going on and continues or will continue on you got to have some it has to be rooted in some kind of consistent lore yeah for and the reason i agree with you is because for me it enhances my suspension of disbelief uh and it it allows me to invest in the material and really go along for the ride in a way that brings me like real emotional catharsis you absolutely know? like that's what good story is for absolutely i think and i can't invest that way in things that don't take themselves that seriously um like, I- a, like avengers endgame i found very hard to invest in even mm-hmm. though i really enjoyed it mm-hmm. like i didn't i wasn't um, emotionally invested in the journey very much a little bit like enough to you know make it like a positive memory for me sure but not like but i was like negatively invested in Avengers Infinity War to the point where I didn't enjoy the movie. Oh, wow. Uh, because there were so many things that were bothering me logistically. Mm-hmm. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 also. Guardians, yeah. yeah. I, I have some feelings about that one too. Yeah. But let's talk but about I something agree. that we love. Well, okay. Well, let's get yes, there. let's get there. But I okay. want to talk... Okay, really quick. Yes. If the creators, the storytellers, the writers whoever is in charge of putting this material out, if they don't care about the journey of these characters or the consistent creating consistency, then how are we as the audience expected to care? Yeah. And that's how I I feel about last Jedi. Like if you wipe your ass with Snoke, like I you're, you're just cutting off so many storytelling opportunities and especially in the middle film of a trilogy, you really need to start to make some progress, especially in this particular, uh, in this trilogy in particular, because Force of Awaken- of Force Awakens came in and gave us these new characters, but you really need the second film to help develop these characters. Yeah, and I feel like by splitting up that our main trio for so much of that movie, we really. I like I still don't really know who Finn is 
like defining characteristics. I have other no than, like, idea him who trying, Finn is. Like continuing to run away from his. Like, I have <laughs> brought I have brought this up before that I am uncomfortable with Finn's lack of backstory. Right. Like the idea that he was a Imperial stormtrooper uh, and is now a good guy is like not looked into. The fact that when he in the Force Awakens when he changes sides, like he, he kills his friends to get away. Like, here's someone who's, like, grown up a stormtrooper. Like, they took him as a baby, right? Mm-hmm. So, he, like, grew up amongst these people. And they are all the people that he's ever known. They're family to him in some way, even if he feels like a complete outcast. Yes. And he feels like the only person who is like himself among all of these people, which he probably does feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, even so, like, he is, like, killing people that are a part of his family on his way out the door. Yes. And, like, continues to fight against them with, with no... Without blinking, without any thought, without any, I mean, and you're talking mention about, of this at all. You're talking about specifically sort of in the, like, maybe the second act, maybe going into the latter third of the film where they're, uh, where they're outside and he's got, like, that showdown. I'm thinking the... of when he escapes in the TIE fighter. He, like, shoots Word. the deck. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Specifically, that is the moment I'm thinking about. Like that moment from the trailer where the deck blows up and stormtroopers go flying. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And like those are his friends. There's no mention Maybe. of that whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that that's never brought up is really confusing to me. And like I like Finn because I like John Boyega and yes. I like the performance and what's not to like there. But he's very. He's not really a character. He's not like exactly. We don't really know him at all. And everything that we knew about. Most of the other characters changes dramatically between those first two movies, especially Poe. Like he's a totally different person in The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and like kind of unrecognizable as a character. Um, which I can I can connect the dots. I can say you know they've been at war for years, and he's worn down a little bit, and you know, the, and they're all in this de- desperate situation. Mm-hmm. I, for me, with Last Jedi, like I can I can backfill the information to make it make sense enough sure. that I can accept it as actually happening in the Star Wars universe, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Star Trek Discovery Season 1, I couldn't do it. I'm just like, this didn't happen. <laughs> like, this isn't canon. Sure, sure, Because sure. this doesn't make sense. Yeah. But with uh, The Last Jedi, I could do it. And so I don't, I, don't, I don't think I feel as harshly towards that movie as you do. But, I, but what you're saying, I agree with. Yeah. You know. That's real. Yeah. Talk to... How do you feel about... After the last... And we can move on after this. But after uh, The Last Jedi... How has um, Kylo Ren's character developed? How do you feel about him? Well, I like Kylo Ren. I, my favorite thing about The Last Jedi, the thing that I will like, the thing, the thing that saves that movie for me, when I go back and think about The Last Jedi, I think about that fight between Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Like That, for me, was insane. Like I, Watching... Luke Skywalker pop into this... Uh, spoilers for Last Jedi. You've seen it. You, you're listening to this podcast. I don't know. Maybe you haven't seen it. Maybe you don't want to see it. <laughs> then you can listen. Um, so uh, when Luke Skywalker pops into that field in The Last Jedi and has that fight with Kylo Ren where he never touches him with his lightsaber, I was like, this is the fight that I've always wanted to see. It's like an adult, mature Luke Skywalker who doesn't even need to touch him with his lightsaber. But my one thing in the back of my mind was, like, I don't know why he stopped to like cut his hair and dye it brown before he got here mm-hmm. because that's weird but i'll go with it it's fine he looks like his younger self again went to a super and then cuts. you find out like a moment later that he was never there and that he was force projecting his younger self because that is the self that kylo ren knew um 
something about that just felt insanely perfect to me. I I just loved it. I that was such an epic moment in my yeah. in, in my mind. Yeah. And as far as looking at Luke Skywalker's journey from beginning to end, mm-hmm. which is something I think about a lot. Yes. Because um, I wrote the song Moisture Farm like before we started recording. I showed you a work in progress of this music video that I'm working on, and it's like Luke Skywalker on Tatooine as a young kid. And <laughs> y'all, my, y'all get ready for it. It's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be great. <laughs> get ready. Um, something I haven't decided for sure if I'm gonna do is um, put. I, I was thinking about doing like something at the end where Luke Skywalker has a vision of his future and sees like moments of Last Jedi. Mm. I don't know if I'm gonna do it because I don't know if it's gonna work. Yeah. But I might try it in this music video. So I've been thinking about like. Um, doing something with like some sort of edit with music where you see Luke like as a kid and as an old man. Like I did this with uh, Wrath of Khan also where I had uh, like old and young versions of Khan in the same video mm. uh, where I took one of my songs from the sci-fi album and edited footage from the movie on it. Word. This time I'm actually putting myself in it, which is fun <laughs> and strange and kind of scary in this weird way. Um, but we won't get into that because that'll open a can of worms that I won't be well, of my own self consciousness that we won't be able to shut within Not today. within the Not time today. required. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that to me was like a completing of this story that felt so good, like seeing the twin sons on whatever planet that Luke was on. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Octo, I think it's called. Um, there are moments in the Last Jedi that that are up there for me and like favorite moments in Star Wars. Like our, you know, Yoda showing up was amazing. Yeah, I mean that's that especially so that good. throwback puppet. Yes, um, so good. Yeah. So I, can, I I can't hate that movie because it has moments of like true Star Wars in it for me, but it has a lot of stuff that we didn't need. I think, and it, like Absolutely. the whole Canto Bite Casino sequence is really perplexing to me. Yep, and I it's just. And especially the way Maz Kanata was used as sort yeah. of like this weird NPC character who right. just gives you a mission. <laughs> why, why wasn't she running that casino? I mean, she needs like, a new job. Like her, right. her place got blown up. Right. And she was, I don't know, she was a cool character. Why not use her? But you're right that Ryan Johnson seemingly didn't like The Last Jedi. It, when you, I'm sorry, didn't like The Force Awakens. Right. When you watch The Last Jedi, it feels like it was made by someone who was trying to apologize for The Force Awakens. But people love The Force Awakens, so now we're going to get this third movie in this trilogy that is going to be apologizing for The Last Jedi. You know it's going to happen, because they've already announced some things, like we've seen that one teaser trailer where we heard Palpatine's laugh. Heard Palpatine's laugh, and yeah. of Luke is doing the voiceover, Yeah. so this this you know kind of tells me he's going to come back in some form or fashion, because I, I, I disagree with Luke's... Uh, uh, the way Luke's character ended up in Last Jedi. You do, yeah, because I, 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 I have mixed feelings about that fight with Kylo Ren. Because there are, mo- I agree, it's like amazing to watch. And as I was watching it in the theater, I was super hyped, especially when you find out that he's not really there the whole time. Yeah, but the and as much as I loved the little like shoulder flick he does. To me, like I and I do love it, but to me, I was like, that's such a dick move that I don't. I could never envision Luke Skywalker hmm. do because th- we're talking about the same Luke Skywalker who went up against Darth Vader, his father, the most evil dude ever, and fought him till the end was so much about like, there's still good in you. I know there's still good. I feel it. There's still good. There's still good in you. Where do I? 
I just don't know how to justify the absence of that Luke Skywalker. And especially in the moment with Kylo Ren, because that especially that that shoulder flick, he's literally mocking him in that moment. He's he's no, there's no remnants of that mm. Luke Skywalker. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess maybe what's missing for me is seeing more of the relationship between Kylo Ren and Luke and what exactly yeah. happened um, during that Jedi Academy yeah, and w- how Snoke fits into this because Snoke says in The Last Jedi that I was the one who made um, this connection between you and Rey possible or Rey and, and Kylo possible. So he's got some sort of role in this, but again, we've decided that it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, but that to me is key to understanding Kylo Ren and the decisions he makes. Yeah. But um, no, I totally hear your points. Yeah. Too. You're reminding me, I didn't even answer your question. How do I feel about Kylo Ren? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I I loved him teaming up with Rey for a second. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really cool. Like, I really liked the whole last third a lot of mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, my problems are mostly in the middle, I would say. Absolutely. Uh, I hear that. But yeah, I liked how they teamed up for a second. I thought that was super cool. And then he feels like they've made this connection, but she still won't go with him and do what he wants, Mm -hmm. which is infuriating to him. And he's just so like, uh, like petulant and whiny and immature and powerful. And, you know, has to make these decisions. Mm -hmm. He's in this position to make decisions that have repercussions for the whole galaxy. And he shouldn't be in that position because he is not emotionally (laughs) stable. (laughs) And I just find that interesting. Like yeah. something about that character, I think is fascinating. That's I, a good point. I'm a really big fan of of what they've done with Kylo Ren in both movies. Actually, like I think that he is the consistent thing. He's the consistent, like, narrative of those movies. Is Kylo Ren is consistently, you know, pulled in multiple directions, kind of a horrible person, <laughs> but like has a good side, and you know it. You can tell that. Like when Luke sees him, when he brushes his shoulder off, what I take from that is like, there's a relationship there that we've never seen where they had this like father son relationship of some kind. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And they had this like ease and rapport around each other that Luke is still acting out. Like the way that he would act towards Han Solo a little bit, a little like, yeah, you're cool, but I'm cooler. You know, (laughs) like that kid that he used to be. That was a good Luke. (laughs) Thank you. I'm watching a lot of old Luke footage recently. Like combing through the movie. Hashi station to pick up some power converters. Yeah, like that's the kid, you know? That's the kid who becomes an old man yeah. in The Last Jedi. Not the Luke from Return of the Jedi, who had grown and learned some things. Hmm. It's like, it's like it, the, the Luke we see in The Last Jedi feels closer to Tatooine teenager Luke to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah, which yeah. is, in, I think there's something that could be real about that. Like if this person reverts to who they used to be in their old age, they a little bit like he's got all this wisdom. He's got all this growth, but he was a, like a whiny kid, you know, and he's kind of, he's a bit of a whiny old man and that's okay with me. Like Luke Skywalker is not perfect. Yoda clubs him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Luke was I in a, you. he was like depressed and he's 
living alone. He's become a hermit. He's drinking the same blue or whatever color milk every that day. Weird milk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I loved him milking that creature. I'm, yeah. I'm, I love that. Oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know why people didn't like that. I and the like, shade that's he threw at Ray. Specifics like yeah. that I just love. Yeah. yeah. And he's just throwing shade at Ray constantly. He, oh, yeah. What is that word he uses over and over that he shouldn't be using so much? Hubris. That's the word. That he shouldn't be using. <laughs> no one says hubris that much that often, you know? <laughs> the Orville. The Orville. Great. Yes. We are gathered here today. To discuss the Orville. How long? It only took us 24 minutes to get here. This isn't that bad. Yeah. It's been way worse on this show before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. The Orville. It's just finished up season two. Season three is coming. We just found out like yesterday that it got renewed, which is super exciting. Yes. Tell me about how you feel about the Orville. I love the Orville. I absolutely love it. I, I will admit... So I was, as soon as I found out about its existence, I was, I was conflicted. I was excited and I was terrified. So wait, what did you hear? What did you hear originally? That it was like a Seth MacFarlane well, Star I saw, Trek I just ripoff. Saw the trailer. Okay, you saw the trailer. Yeah, and so, the, and then it's like this weird. It's a Star Trek show with dick and fart jokes, basically. That's pr- I, that's pretty much what I was. And expecting. that specifically concerned you. Yes. Okay. Cause I, well, because I here's the thing. Family Guy, for me, started off brilliantly. Yes. It's first season. It's second season, to me, takes a dip and then really starts to pick up again in the third season. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of just sort of gone downhill. Like, the, the the style of comedy just goes over the top sometimes, and and we get long, extended jokes, like jokes that will run for a minute, a minute and a half. And I'm just like, I don't need all of this. So yeah. I was worried that the Orville would be all of the worst parts of Family Guy <laughs> thrown into a Star Trek setting. Yeah. Um, and then it debuts. And, and how do you feel about it? I loved it. You loved it right away. Uh, uh, the first, So the first, I would say, two or three episodes... Uh, so so yes, I liked it right away. And the first two or three episodes do have a particular Seth MacFarlane uh, stank on them, but toned uh-huh. way down. Right. Toned way down. And that gets toned down even further as the series progresses. And you start to see more of a, uh, a balance between comedy and drama. Mm-hmm. And I would say even in in season two, it really is more of a drama and is devoted more to character-driven storytelling than it is about dick and fart jokes. Totally. Yeah, I, I, uh, I had a similar reaction when I heard about it because mm-hmm. I have a very similar story with Family Guys. Like, I loved it at first, and then it got canceled and returned, I think, in season four, right? Or five? Mm. And when it first came back, I was like, this is still great. And then within two seasons of that, I had completely sworn off the show forever. I was just like, yep. done. Yep. You know, I never wanted to see it again. And I don't even know if I'd still think the first couple seasons were funny if I went back now. Yep, that's real. Because I really just did not like where it went. And <laughs> it was like the style of like violent, disrespectful humor. Like a style of humor where like the main characters who are a family were like so hateful to each other mm-hmm. that and it was played for laughs yes. that i just didn't enjoy that you know sure. mm-hmm. like i don't like watching brian or stewie beat brian to a bloody pulp <laughs> yeah that was the episode where i quit that's hard to watch yeah and and, it, and that's one that it, it's so extended it goes it keeps on going. for a the whole long episode time. it just keeps going to the point where it's like it doesn't make sense in the world of family guy 
And and it just doesn't make sense on any level except for like using violence to try to get people to laugh at it. Yeah. And that, that's something that I've always disliked. So mm-hmm. I was just kind of out at that point. Yeah. And there are there have been a couple of moments in the Orville that felt that way to me where mm. they use some sort of like bodily harm <laughs> played for laughs. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, like the humor on the show is the least interesting thing and the least important part of the show. Yes. I think that the show works because it is a great Star Trek show. Yes. It's like a remake of Star Trek The Next Generation done really, really well. Yeah. And Star Trek Next Generation is my favorite show. Um, so if you're going to make a new show, remake that one. And then they, I mean, with more humor, admittedly more humor than Absolutely. Star Trek has ever had. And that's a really great added element to this format. So they just took my favorite format and like tweaked it a little bit. And I think they really kind of nailed their tone in season two. Absolutely. Uh, where like, it felt like old Star Trek episodes, you know, mm. like from 90s Star Trek at its heyday Star Trek. It feels like getting new heyday Star Trek, it, even with a lot of the same actors and everyone, you know? Yeah. They're bringing back some alumni, right? Yeah. Some Star Trek uh, alumni. And even I believe Jonathan Frakes is He's directing directed, yeah. a couple of the episodes. And yeah, Robert Picardo was in a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brandon Braga, who was the showrunner on several Star Trek shows, is like one of the sh- one of the head writers on the Orville. Right. So it's actually being written by someone who wrote the old Star Trek. Like you can, if you follow Brandon Braga's career to like Terra Nova, I think he did. You, uh, you can see his his uh, the way that he compresses a story into forty two minutes is mm-hmm. very similar to what he did in Star Trek. No matter where he goes, Got so it. getting some of that in the Orville is really cool too. Yeah, so it feels like coming. Home, you know, it feels like uh, so comforting in this way that, like, it reminds me of so much of what I used to love, but has really kind of planted a stake in season two and done its own thing in a lot of really cool ways and, like, really expanded on the story. And now the backstory is so interesting. And I just love it, man. It's really great. It is such a good show. When you say that the Orville is doing its own thing, can you talk more about that? Yeah. What does that mean to you? To me, it's all about the Mocklin story. Mm -hmm. So the Mocklins are a race that are all male. And Bordis is one of the lead characters, who is obviously the best character. Come on. Bordis is incredible. He's (laughs) like great. The whenever they have him, the episode where he was smoking cigarettes. Oh, my God. Just like he and Clyden, who I also fucking adore. Anyway. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. But it's true. He gets these backstory, or like the birthday cake situation, where he he absolutely hates the corner, or he wants the corner piece. Oh my god! Yeah, is that the thing. He he, he fights to get the corner piece of yes. the cake. Yeah, but he's just like, I am Bortus. I talk like this. Yes, I am always incredibly serious. I must have the corner piece. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. So his race is all male. Uh, we we're told in season one, and then eventually we find out that. Sometimes females are born to this race, but mm-hmm. they are um, basically surgically altered to be male um, so that no females will exist in the society. It's and then we find like out a birth defect. it's yeah, it's considered a birth defect being female. And then we find out that there's this whole planet of females that are smuggled off of the planet, yeah, like refugee, planet, refugee yeah. females. Mm-hmm. And that entire storyline where you have this woman like standing up in front of a crowd of people saying like, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I don't have the right to exist. It really powerful storytelling, like coming off of the Me Too movement, you know, yes. they are taking what is happening right now with our society and filtering it through this ridiculous lens yeah. uh, and then showing us what's wrong with our society. And that is exactly what Star Trek is about. Yes. Like that is Star Trek. 
so that's good sci-fi, and it's also good sci-fi. And totally, and yeah, that's absolutely. Where I was like, okay, yes, you were leaning less on the humor and more into sci-fi, right? Like that storytelling does. Yeah, and that's what I mean by planting its flag is that it's telling current stories that are important, yes, and and, and picking a morality, you know, mm-hmm. which is so, which is so hard to do as a showrunner. Like, I feel like Game of Thrones is the perfect example of like a show that purposefully obfuscates its own morality so to keep you guessing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that you don't know the point of view of the creators and you can never figure out what's going to happen next which to me is like interesting to watch but not necessarily engaging sure because i i feel like i need to understand the morality of my of my storytellers to know if it's a story that i want to invest in mm, mm-hmm. yeah or even understanding like the context where is this coming from right yeah when the first season of the Orville started, probably about three episodes in, and I was trying to convince a friend of mine who loves Star Trek, I was like, you got to check out the Orville. He was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just going to be, st- it's just going to be Star Trek. Why not? Ju- I should just watch Star Trek, right? <laughs> like, it's just going to rip off right. Star Trek. And... I think that's such an interesting, it's such an interesting um, point of departure for me because everything we've ever known or have ever loved deeply is built on the bones of something else. Yeah, totally. It's built on the bones of something that's classic, right? Right. Absolutely. There's a reason certain tropes exist. There's a reason for that. And it's because, and it's like nothing is original, first of all. Right. It's seen some iteration beforehand. Even at the simplest level, like all stories have a beginning, middle, and end. Right. You know? Because that's just the format with which we tell each other stories. Right. And that's like the the media that we use. And if a story doesn't have a middle or an end, then it becomes something else. You know, if you tell a story that's just beginning and end, like <laughs> I've never I mean, I that doesn't exist. It's really. not a story. I've it's never seen that. Monologuing. Because, and you <laughs> you can like... play with the, those formats, but just like being human and using language, we are all building off of what each other's doing at basic levels. But then you get even even more specific, like you talk about like the Joseph Campbell uh, mm-hmm. mythology that mm-hmm. Star Wars is built off of, and so many. I mean, of the classic myths were built off. Like he's studying these classic myths, right. And saying like this is what they're built off of. And then George Lucas is like, I'm going to make something off of that. And then it becomes the biggest thing in the world. And then everybody makes stories that are trying to be Star Wars. Which is built off of this other thing. Like we, as human beings, we can't help but do that. Exactly. And even if you deviate, even if you find something new, you you still have to start from a place of, of um, building off of other things because like no one will understand it's new if they don't understand it at all. <laughs> so it has to be right. built off of something that they recognize. Right. And so when you say that the Orville has uh, planted its flag and it started to do its own thing. To me, that's exactly where it's rooted. Going back to my friend who says, I should just watch this, watch Star Trek because it's, it's just going to be a knockoff or derivative. And in some ways, in the first season, and sometimes in the second season, it is, but it's not just about knocking off Star Trek. It's about um, recontextualizing. And I yes. think that's where the Orville is particularly successful. I totally agree. So, and I think it's episode three in season one where we find out about um, Bordas's baby 
being female, being a little oh, girl. Oh, was that episode three? Because that was the, also the episode that really hooked me. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. I, absolutely. Yeah. But, and it's early on in that season. Okay. We get that whole storyline. And that episode, I believe, is called About a Girl. And in that episode, right, you have uh, Seth MacFarlane's character, Mercer, Captain Mercer. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, it's um, Kelly Grayson, his, his first officer, ends up defending borders because they end up going to uh court basically right. on mockless right one of several times we've gone to court with the orville <laughs> right right but this episode in particular you have someone uh basically we've seen this before right we saw this in a season two episode of next generation measure the of measure a of a man yeah right so it's the exact it's the same setup but what makes it not derivative is instead of tackling, uh, because the measure of the man was really kind of talking, hinting at themes of slavery and AI rights, right? Yeah, yeah. But what makes this not derivative is it's now recontextualizing that very same storyline and making it about gender politics, making it about uh, the patriarchy, specifically, yeah. you know, exploring the Mocklin culture. Yeah, it's it's telling stories that. Star Trek has not told. Right. That are almost based off of Star Trek stories. Exactly. Like the Kalon situation in season two is a really good example of this, mm -hmm. where they be, they're basically the Borg. Yes. And we look at, it's like, what if we could see like how the Borg started, you know? Yes. Uh, what if we went to the Borg's home planet? And what if we knew a Borg who was like right. collecting information about us and then they decide to exterminate us, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I don't care. Like, I don't care that it's so similar of a story because it's a, they're in a different place in the universe mm -hmm. telling a different part of the story. Like, imagine if it was actually Star Trek, you know? Right. Like, imagine if, it's, if it was Star Trek. It would feel new still. It wouldn't feel like they were retelling old stories. It would feel like they were expanding on the universe. Right, right. They're, they're yeah. not, like, retreading old ground. They're just kind of using old ground as a jumping-off point to find new ground. And to me, that's brilliant storytelling. I... And yeah, I have no problem with building off of something that exists before, right. especially if it's my favorite thing. <laughs> and it's and it's not just new ground, but it's specifically relevant to what is happening in our culture today. Right. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the purpose of Star Trek has always been to try to bring about positive change directly through, you know, putting ideas into people's heads. And I think Black Mirror is trying to do that. I think, you know, a lot of shows are trying to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of great sci-fi that's kind of the point. Right. Um, so crossing that barrier of becoming like a good sci-fi show at all is such a hard thing to do. <laughs> That's so real. And yeah. the Orville is doing a brilliant job of it, you know? Yeah. So who cares? Like who, and, uh, you know, so th there's been a lot of Star Trek ripoffs. And I think the reason for that is because Star Trek is the Navy in space, you know? Right. Star Trek is ripping off you know, our society. It's like, it, it is such a clear idea of what our future could be like that I think that if, and it's so big mm -hmm. that if anyone tried to come up with what our future would be like, it would look kind of similar to Star Trek in one way or another because that's just kind of the logical way to go. It's like we'd be in spaceships patrolling the galaxy. Like, and it's what we would we would want. It's what we hope our future look be, yeah. specifically the utopian aspect of it. Sure, yeah. Right? And it's interesting that the Orville is also a utopian future. 
Yeah. Because this there are so many things that are so directly similar to Star Trek. Like the the uniforms are all color coded in similar ways. Yes. The spaceship looks very similar to mm-hmm. the inside in particular looks very similar to the next generation uh enterprise. Um and then the fact that they're in this like military hierarchy that's very similar and you have um I just lost my train of thought. Well, and you've got the Krill as well, who are essentially the Romulans. Sure. Right. And and the uh, Bordis, what is he again? The Mocklins. The Mocklins yeah, are basically the Klingons. The Klingons. Yeah. yeah, totally. So, yeah, it's all there. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. And I think that's intentional, and I think that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. But one of the other things that I think uh, the Orville does extremely well is balances the... Uh, because, our, let's be honest, what we want today is hard, fast-paced action explosions, fights, all of that stuff. I mean, that's what J.J. Abrams' take on Star Trek became, ultimately, in Star Trek Beyond, uh, (laughs) especially, right? The Orville does a great job, in my opinion, of balancing that that allegorical sci-fi element with the action-adventure that you might get from Star Star Wars, specifically. Yeah, the the two-part season-ender... Um, where they like they get Kelly oh, the, from the past, and yeah. then they have to fix the future. Mm-hmm. Was so Star Warsy, absolutely. And that's like the one of the most market examples for me. It was like, wow, he is actually ripping off Star Wars too. Yeah, and oh, that's yeah. cool. Oh yeah, I love Star Wars also. This is great. <laughs> I also love comedy. I mean, what's not to like about this? Uh, yeah, and I do think that the show takes until season two to really plant its flag. Yeah, because season one, season one was really good, but it wasn't like. I wanted everyone to watch it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, yeah, it was good. I'm going to watch next season. But I wasn't like a fan. Mm-hmm. But all of season two, I could not wait for the next episode. I agree. Week to week, I was just thrilled to to have an episode to watch yeah. in a way that, like, I haven't been that excited about a show in a while. Yeah. Although I'm really excited about Tuca and Birdie right now. You seen that on Netflix? No. It's fucking awesome. What is it? It's, a, it's Tuca and Birdie. It's an animated show okay. from... The same animation studio that makes BoJack Horseman. Oh, it's amazing. a similar animation style, and it has Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong and Stephen Yun as the three main characters. Really? Okay. Okay. And it's like these. I. It's just. It's kind of like Broad City, but with animated birds. <laughs> it's really wonderful. I'm in. Yeah, I, I'm I really in. love it. I'm so <laughs> into it, and it's got like a lot of emotional depth, like BoJack does. Yeah. It's a really great show. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, and actually, Star Trek Discovery, I was really stoked on. Like every week, I just couldn't wait. And right now, Survivor, which is ending tonight. Although this uh, season has been below par for Survivor, but even a bad season of Survivor is still better than almost any TV. <laughs> I just love that fucking show. I can't wait to catch up on Star Trek, though. That's I'm stoked I'm for you to watch it. Yeah. I I don't know if you're gonna like it, to be honest. Did you watch the original series? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have a you have a better chance of liking it if you've watched the original series. Okay. Something that. Uh, my friend Doug pointed out to me is that uh, we've talked about this a lot on Doug Space Nine. Nice. <laughs> Have yeah. I told you about Doug Space Nine? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So we talk a lot about how the original series was like really bizarre, you know? Like they'd run into giant space objects all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
I feel like each series has its thing. Right. But the Discovery is specifically trying... Like, they ran in, in season one, they ran into a giant space whale. Yes, you know? yes, they did. How Discovery is trying to do things that are weird in a similar way to the way the original series was weird. And they nailed that in season two. Like, th- season one awesome. didn't work for me at all. I never, I never felt like it was there. But season two, they really nailed it. And, awesome. And, like, multiple points throughout the season where they reference things from the original series that show, like, real understanding of... <laughs> In some ways. And then in other ways, it's like, but let's ignore the actual canon of what happened. Uh, but it's bizarre. I, okay. I don't know. I want to talk to you about it later. Okay. Um, so season two of or- the Orville, yes. we lost... Uh, is it, Alara. Is it Alara, yeah. Whew. Which was a little rough. And they replaced her with a character of the same species, of the same yeah. gender, of someone who looks relatively similar. Yes, yes. Very similar. Yeah, which was which weirded me out. I felt like if you're going to replace a character... Why do it with someone who looks the same? Right. It it it, it was a little weird to me too because yeah. I was like, when when we get this new character and she looks pretty identical and is the exact same race, <laughs> same I was, rank on the ship. Same. I was like, okay. Oh, that means Alara's gone. <laughs> it's yeah. not just like this is a thing we're doing. It's oh no, she's gone. And we're straight up just replacing her with the same thing. Yeah. Um, How did you feel about that though? Was that weird? It was. It was weird to me. Yeah. Especially because uh, the way they wrote her off of the show. That was one of my favorite episodes. Oh my god, that episode is spectacular. The, yeah. It, it's, Where she has like gravity sickness and has to go back to her home world. Yeah. Uh, because like she's been in too light of gravity, incredible. so she's losing her strength because right. her species is super strong. That episode was fucking brilliant. And that episode, and this is another example of where the storytelling is really rooted in what is happening in our culture right now. Yeah. And it's talking about um, uh, persons living with disabilities. And, yeah. and, you know, it's just like, it's fucking. And then the show goes into a really dark place. A really dark like with the with oh, with the, guy, with the torture? Like yeah. Holding his hand in the boiling pot. Yes. Oh, my God. So intense. Like that episode was a complete experience. Yes. It, I mean, I was so engaged. I that's one of those things where it's so good that you've seen it once but you remember like every moment, you know? Like like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Like that movie stayed with me so hard after the first viewing, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean, that's a weird example, but like this movie really stayed or this show, this episode really yeah. stayed with me because it was such a complete story. Like did you watch 6 Feet Under? No, I didn't watch that show. Uh, it's probably worth watching, but it's it's so good when it starts, and it's one of those ep- shows that really just kind of jerks you around a lot because, uh, like, it's a show about death, so they just keep jerking you around. <laughs> sure. And there's there's an episode where a character gets um, his day gets hijacked by a um, like a, a criminal who's like threatening to kill him if he doesn't do what he says. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it better than that. But, but it's terrifying. That's pretty clear. It's like yeah. it's one of the most terrifying, visceral, yeah, hours of television I've ever seen. And like, I will never forget it. I will never watch it again. I hope because it was fucking horrifying. And I like, but it was so well done. It was mm-hmm. like, I I don't know. It was like you were there because mm-hmm. it was so well done. And something about the level of violence used in that episode of the Orville, yeah, um, against Alara's dad, yeah, made that episode like resonate louder because mm-hmm. it got so scary 
yeah. that one moment. And it's fucking Robert Picardo. It's the doctor. I know. That's what I was just about Voyager. to mention yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like, I feel like it's not afraid to tell great stories and it's not afraid to push the audience in Absolutely. a way that Star Trek never does or yeah. very rarely. Well, in my opinion, it does some things better than Next Generation. Interesting. Um, and this kind of goes back to the conversation about, you know, building on the bones of something old yeah. and kind of using an old Star Trek story as the basis for a new context. Yeah. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about that episode in season two, the episode of the Orville. It's called Lasting Impressions. And it's where they open a time capsule. Oh my God! And Gordon, yes, recreates, he finds the cell phone. Finds the cell phone and recreates, and recreates this, this girl. This woman her, recreates her, her personality, everything about her, and, like, and her, her bar. World. Yeah, her like he's going to hang out at the bar. She hangs out. He basically goes to hang out in like twenty. 16 i think it was 2015 2015 okay yeah yeah and that's like his recreation on this holodeck and on the holiday yeah exactly the holodeck exactly yeah um and then he ends up falling in love of course he uh, does with this woman dr leah brahms all over again that's what i'm talking about specifically (laughs) yeah they use that episode yes but the difference for me is that in the in the uh in star trek next generation right we live in a utopia yeah. But there's still in terms of gender parity, I think it's still problematic the way they handle that episode because it it starts off with Jordy LaForge being like, "Ah, oh, no one wants to date me. I can't get a date to save right. my life." <laughs> Darn it. Well, Which I'm going to like really unbelievable cuz he's the coolest person on the show. Right. So yeah. <laughs> we're already starting in a place of like, mm, "Right. Really though?" Yeah. Um but then he goes to these, the, you know, the lengths of recreating uh, this person and this facsimile of this woman. And then when she rejects him in in the holodeck, he's still like another woman rejecting me. I can't get it. And then when he meets her later, I think it's like a season later, right? He bl- he she catches on to what he did, and it's so and awkward. It, it's awkward, and then it's. The way it's written and played in that episode, it's still all her fault somehow. And she ends up apologizing right. to Jordy for all this weird, creepy behavior that he's done. I know. It's weird. So it's... Uh, and I think that that's handled differently in yeah. Lasting Impressions in the Orville. Yeah. Because that episode really is about um, Gordon trying to get this woman to love him back and like dealing and then he goes so far as to delete her ex-boyfriend from her memory but then comes to find that that actually fundamentally changes who she is as a person right and so now we're going into this territory of every single individual is 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 a like an amalgamation of all of their lived experiences and all of their relationships you can't just separate someone out of it one and then two, that she is a human being, her own fucking person, that you can't just be like, love me. Right. You even can't though control she is, somebody else. Even though she is a simulation. And right. if he chose to, he could, but then it would feel hollow. Because yeah. the reason he falls in love with her is because she's based on reality. Mm-hmm. And there's something real about 
this simulation. Yes. And when he changes her, she's no longer real. It's fascinating, you know? And even if he thinks she loves her, she's going to do what she wants to do. Like, right. You right. know? Yeah. It had so, so much it, to say about it, relationships and it, modern relationships. And consent. Yeah, totally. And all of these. So in some ways, I think the Orville handles this material better than than Star Trek did yeah. even. And it really relates to what we're doing, what we're going through today's culture. Sure. I, I think that time, enough time has passed that a lot of the next generation doesn't hold up as well as you would hope. Sure. I think that growing up on that show, and this is something I've had to wrestle with on my last rewatch, which was very recent, which was like growing up on that show, I thought it was perfect. I thought that they nailed everything. You know, I thought that every, that that because they always said, you know, men and women are equal, that they were in the world of the show, but there is inequality all over the place in the world of the show that is part of the, um, uh, what's the word? Like inherent inequality in our own society. Mm, And is mm -hmm. that, gets i wouldn't say that that inequality has improved but i would say that a light has been shined on it Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, so now it's easier to see it and when you go back and watch older things sometimes they really stick out oh absolutely and it really happens in several situations in next generation that's one of them you know that's a situation with dr brahms that is weird yeah and like (laughs) doesn't 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 resonate as being real and comes off as kind of weirdly apologetic on her part when it shouldn't be and yeah um yeah and that's a problem and and I think you're right that the Orville is dealing with some of those things better, for sure. I, th- for me, the the type of the type of lens that they're casting over society with which they are then writing story through is very similar, like and feels of like a similar quality. Yeah, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. But for me, like there are still stylistic and aesthetic choices on the Orville that I don't prefer to Next Generation. Yeah, let's let's hear them. Oh, they're just like small things. I I don't like the uniform design. I just <laughs> word I, word. I just don't like looking at it all the time. <laughs> and so, but honestly, like I love the original Next Generation design when they were like too tight and yeah. gave Captain Captain Picard back problems. <laughs> but like the redesign where it's a little like fluffy, yeah, <laughs> to give them some space to move wasn't my favorite uniform either. Yeah, so that's real. It was just like two years of Star Trek: The Next Generation where they wear my favorite uniform. <laughs> and yeah, did he get? I, P- Picard got that like gray jacket, right? That, yeah, that like... doesn't that never made sense. <laughs> I, I never understood the jacket. I expected him to have some kind of space motorcycle to go along with that. Or <laughs> I'm like, did the color go out on his jacket? Yeah. <laughs> his jacket's in black and white. And you know, there are like there are some times where I feel like the humor gets in the way for me, but they're very season two almost none. Season one like half of the jokes. Yeah, I, got in the way for me. Absolutely, but Absolutely. season two, like almost none of them did. Yeah, and actually, a lot of the humor in season two was super fucking funny. Um, and also, I mean, Next Generation is just like my happy place. It's like it is my favorite. You know, it's my favorite show. Not even in that it is like the best show that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Just like aesthetically, I just love that ship. I love the way it looks. I love yeah. everything about it. And the characters. And the characters are so Gosh, good. I love the characters, yeah. Yeah. But the characters on the Orville really give them a run for their money. I, they're starting to. They're starting to, yeah. I feel like, uh, and if we want to get into gripes with the show, if we're starting to like get into gripes. <laughs> yeah, mine are already done, because yeah. that was it. I really love it. <laughs> um, I have two gripes. Uh, one, I feel like the way they use um, 20th century pop culture references oh, sure. bugs the hell out of me yeah it just bugs the hell out it, it would make sense to me if it was one character who always dropped 20th century right 
references that's a and that was the fix. character and it trait. should be captain mercer it should be mercer yeah. he's the one who's got a kermit the kermit frog like stuffed animal right but when all the characters are making destiny's child references and all i'm like you realize that shit's like 430 years old at specifically the, at this yeah. point right <laughs> be like me referencing yeah. Shakespeare, walking around with a shakespeare doll or some shit like right but people do that but right exactly yeah. so if it was one person Right, that exactly. makes sense to me. Right, but because totally. it's multiple people, it's really Ugh. confusing. To Although me. the Dolly Parton was great, <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, I hear you on that. Um, how do you feel about Mercer as a captain on the show? Because to me, like what I look at is I say Seth MacFarlane is like me. He grew up wanting to captain the Enterprise. Yes, so now he can. Sure, so he's the captain. You know, like he put himself in as the captain. Yes, and I feel like he's getting better. But for me, that is the one. That is the one thing that makes this show, like, I love the Orville, you know? But yes. I don't love it quite as much as The Next Generation because you have this, like, wise old, not old, but, like, wise, experienced, brilliant guy on The Next Generation in Captain Picard, whereas, like, Seth MacFarlane is a little hard to believe as the captain. <laughs> but but what I like about that is that I think the show knows that. Yes. And they're playing with that, and they're showing him grow and evolve and become someone more like Captain Picard over yes. time. Yes, yes. So... And I'm starting to see that now. So that's kind of taken away that as a gripe for me. It's more of just a, you know, I, Captain Picard's the best captain. Well, you know, yes. Obviously. I, you know, I, I think why it feels weird. Um, I mean, first of all, obviously it's a, it's a vehicle for Seth MacFarlane. Right. Obviously. But there's an episode in season one where it's Victor Garber and, and um, I can't remember his name. Um Kelly Grayson is basically they're in his office and we find out that Kelly is like still feeling guilty about having cheated on Ed. And so she advocated to get him the captain's right, chair. Right, right, right. Right. So I feel like that moment specifically helps me with this mm. idea that it's he's not really a strong captain right now. Yeah. Because he's kind of placed in that position due to these other circumstances. But I wish that that was addressed perhaps in uh, in other ways, in more yeah. nuanced ways. Yeah, I think seeing Kelly from the past helped with that a little bit mm, to word. see how he'd changed. Word, word. That was a fascinating premise to like to see the love of your life again at the moment in her life where you first met her. Yeah, when your relationship has since fallen apart. Yes, and like dating that past version of her. It was weird. It was weird, it was but weird. I, you couldn't blame him for doing it. Right. Like, it made sense, you know? It was, they really swung for it, but it worked. Like, they keep doing that, where they keep pushing yeah. s characters in directions that seem wrong, but they work, and they're still good characters. Like, Malloy falling in love with that girl on the holodeck. Mm -hmm. I just found out that the, the actor who plays Malloy and the one who plays Grayson are, yeah. are married in real life. They're married, yeah. Yeah, so he's watching his boss make out with his wife <laughs> when... <laughs> Seth MacFarlane and Adrian Palicki are together. <laughs> I actually, how do you feel about their relationship? Because for me, that was a little off-putting in season one, and they've really fixed it for me in season two. Whose relationship? Uh, Mercer and... Uh, and Grayson? Uh, and Grayson, yeah. Well, here's the thing, and I, I perhaps want to um, use this to transition into a question I have for you. Okay. Which is, what do we want to see going into season three? What are our hopes and dreams? Our hopes and dreams, And yeah. for me, to, if I can kick that off, yeah. it would be, I would love to see us maybe start to move away from Ed 
and Ed Kelly's Kelly. relationship. It's Fuck yeah. become the center of too many plot lines for me. I think that they have used it as much as they can. I yeah. agree. I think, but I, I love what they did with it in season two. Season yeah. one, it was like, oh, the boss and the first officer used to date. Uh oh, you know, and it was weird. And right. I didn't need it. But in season two, it's like this great storyline about meeting her in the past and, and like finding out that he's still in love with her and she starts dating someone else and she right. has feelings for him, but is, but, but can't be with him because she recognizes Duty. the ship has to come first. Yeah. And that's actually been demonstrated to, to the viewer to the point that it would feel, I think it would feel disingenuous for them to get back together. It really feels yes. to me like they're done. You right. Know? That, and exactly. So I think that they should put it behind them. Yes. I and agree. I really think that, uh, I think that Mercer should meet someone new and yeah. fall in love again with someone else. Which was also interesting to me in season two when he, he, yeah, he dated the krill. The, the krill. I loved it. Oh, I loved oh. it. That episode was awesome. Yeah. And that that was very similar to um, the one with Jordy and the Romulan on the planet. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, because the krill are the Romulans. Yeah. Where they have to like work together to save themselves. Okay, but Doctor Finn dating yes. Isaac. <laughs> oh my god! I, uh, <laughs> Fucking fascinating. Yeah, so interesting. Which uh, to me is like, oh, this is really hitting on what it is to like be in a relationship with problematic, uh, problematic people or uh, like or unemotional people, un- like unemotionally, uh, yeah. uh, emotionally unavailable people. Yeah, and there was an episode where Data dated someone. Yeah, but I think that again. Like you were saying, the Orville, I think, handled that better. Mm -hmm. I think that it felt more realistic to have this woman in a relationship with someone who can't love her, you know, like physically cannot love her. Um, And then episodes later, upped the stakes when the Kalon invaded. And now it's like using that past. Now you've you've got a a past history to build from. And the connection that that Dr. Finn, medicine woman, built (laughs) built with Isaac was what saved the day. Yes, and it was really powerful storytelling. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I really liked the way they did that. The hi- the idea that she could go into the holodeck and go on a date with Isaac, where he could become a flesh and blood yeah. person, yeah. was so touching and interesting. Yes. Although it didn't really, I, I was like, is his head around? Is this hologram around <laughs> his head? Because then his head looks too like small. a weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. But who cares? It was such. That's. I'm trying to get to that point where it's like, if I like emotionally what the storyteller is saying. Like, I should try to ignore the minutiae of it, yeah. which is hard for me because I love minutiae. Right. I love, like, I, I grew up reading Star Wars Expanded Universe novels and, like, thinking about all these characters who had these uh, incredible backstories. Like, when you watch the cantina scene, it's like, Ponda Baba, you know? Like, <laughs> and Amazon, ah. like, I know what they were doing yesterday. <laughs> and that just adds to the experience for me. Sure. Because sure. all of those authors, like had so little to work with on screen that it matched perfectly, you know, because it had to. Right. Uh, so they did a, a reasonably good job for a while, at least, of making that world feel, like, real and realized outside of the movies. And I love the minutiae of that. I just really got into it. And I wanted, Word. like, the Stardew Valley. I wanted, I, I collected every single crop, you know. I, I like, I've 100%ed Stardew Valley. I've looked in every corner of that world except for one recipe, which I still need to find. <laughs> like Breath of the Wild. I, I, got, oh, I found yeah. every shrine. I just wanted to see the detail in the world because I love the world so much. Oof. And you can look up under every rock and it would be real. And it's fantasy. And you get to go into the fantasy completely. Yeah. So that's why I love Minutia because it like allows me to do that. 
Um, that's yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's but huge. it's really it's been a hard couple years for Minutia Lover with like what's coming out. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's not that I don't like what's coming out, but and I wonder if I need to change my perspective. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like I can appreciate the minutia when it's there, but I can not be upset when it's not because that's just this storyteller chose to do something different, or maybe like they did as much as they could, and that's the best they could do. You know? Yeah. Like Avengers Endgame was a massive movie, and maybe that's just the best they could do. That's it. Is, oh yeah, it's a massive undertaking. Yeah, and, and it's a good you got to applaud them you know? for that. At least, yeah, it's not like it's bad. Yeah, it's just not necessarily my style, my my preference of storytelling type. And you and I grew up in the same period on the yeah. same media, so we probably have very similar tastes. I think. Yeah. 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 We won't get into Endgame for. But. I just did a whole podcast about it last, last oh, did time you? with Andy. Yeah. So w- will that come out before this? Can it's I- out. It's out already. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. I'll save that for another conversation. All right. <laughs> but is there anything else that you look you would look forward to in, in a third season sure. for the Orville? I am so excited to see what happens with the piece with the Krill. Mm-hmm. I hope that they just continue to build that piece. Mm-hmm. And I hope that maybe the culmination of the season is some sort of fight between the humans and the krill mm, because mm-hmm. something breaks down in the peace process. But through that, they, f- they form a more solid footing after that. Yes. Because I think that that's a great way to give us some action and some battles with this really well-developed race in the krill. Absolutely. And with I think emotional that, stakes. Yeah. And I think that the, the whole idea of their God being their God, Avis, which I love <laughs> that. Like some of the jokes are so good. Yeah, like, the, yeah, yeah. like Avis being the car company yeah. is so funny. Yeah. That's great. Like, that's the type of humor I want from this show. Absolutely. It's just really specific shit that could only happen to these people. <laughs> and they really veered in that direction in season two. It's been much more in line with what I think is funny, Yeah, you know, than like just random dick jokes. Agreed. Which I like too, but you know, in certain situations, <laughs> um, yeah, so I I want season three to be about trying to bridge the divide with religious fanatics to Word. find common yeah, ground. That's cool. I feel like that's what they're setting up, and that's what I want. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. something that can help us like learn how to talk to Republicans, right? You know, yeah, who have like a there's a lot of juice there, right? Like they, Republicans are just as much valid people as we are, mm-hmm. you know, and like they're in you know liberal circles, they're not talked about that way. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're as liberal as I am. I mean, yeah, that's true. I I think that there's a just all around there's a there's a, a wealth of conversation to be had uh, about the other to, about the other yeah. because it just you know for every liberal there's an extreme a radical liberal you know right. there's and they feel as far away from me as a radical Republican does right right exactly yeah. um and especially in uh the times we live when there's you know you have a call out culture and you have what do you uh, mean call out culture. People are not afraid to call shit out. Sure, and uh, uh, a lot of times that happens over social media, and then and yeah, know, and and you know, people being prosecuted in the court of public opinion and right. all of these different things. And there's, there's like a, a good and a bad to that. Like you, exactly, the the good side is that people are standing up for themselves who haven't mm-hmm. had the chance or a voice to do so before, mm-hmm. and it can be a really powerful way to do so. Mm-hmm. The bad side is that some people are using it literally as clickbait because they can make money off of it. So having the most um, exciting headline Mm -hmm. is a way to generate revenue. Right. So it becomes like worthwhile to start to search for dirt on people in a way that it wasn't 
that has always been kind of valuable, but mm-hmm. is like easier to capitalize on mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I think it has awakened a meanness in social media yes. and a, a, a uh, what's the word? Like a manipulative, um, insidious manipulativeness well, in absolutely. social media that is terrifying to me. Absolutely. But, but on the other yeah. hand, like, I think like the Me Too movement was such a great, powerful force for good. Oh, in the uh, no end, question. You know? No question. And there's been so many other things that have been, but, and then so many things that have been huge forces of evil. I mean, it's, right. this, it's just like, it's, it's the force, man. You got the light and the dark side, but it's a, it's a very powerful thing that we are still grappling with as a society. So telling us stories about how to do it positively, give us some ideas. This is the fucking time to do it. How to do it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I also think about, you know, the, the, the 2016 election mm-hmm. and, when you're looking on uh, uh, like Facebook and other social media platforms, you if you were for Hillary, if you're pro Clinton, that's what you saw in your feed. Sure. And if you if something did pop up that you didn't like, you can unfriend, you can block, whatever. Right. But you majority of what you will see is in line with your political beliefs. So you're automatically already like shielded and protected from anything that exists outside of you. Right. So how do you, and that has to do with, with algorithms, the way, you know, um, the way things pop up in your, in your feed. Um, but how do you get both sides? How do you, how does communication happen? Right. When, when um, you're surrounded in sort of a protective bubble all the time as well. I know, it's terrifying because you, know? you don't really know what you're getting. You don't know if you're getting news right. or misinformation. And you have to go seek and, it out. Yeah, I mean, my, I've mean, i been thinking about this a lot and I have sort of adopted this strategy of, you know, of like looking at the entire world, trying to look at every single person through a lens of, of compassion, you know? Yeah. And... I don't know. Like I mean, positive is, intention, like, yeah, we're getting into a whole, a whole can of worms here that I don't necessarily want to open, but yes. like, I just don't have the, the energy. Yeah, absolutely. But like, I don't know. I've been trying to force myself recently, recently to really examine how I feel about people with opposing viewpoints to mine, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, I, or like really look at, I mean, how people on the side that I feel like I'm on are acting. Because mm-hmm. I've always ad- identified as a Democrat, mm-hmm. but I really don't like how Democrats are acting. And I haven't for a long time. Right. And I don't, I mean, I don't like how Republicans, I don't like how Republicans are acting more <laughs> sure, than I don't like how Democrats are acting. Right. So I end up voting Democrat a lot, which makes the Democratic Party feel like I am a Democrat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in some ways I, I am because I vote that way. But in my heart, I'm not because I don't really like what they're doing. But I feel like I have to vote for the person who has like more human rights in mind. And, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. He's and I feel like that's what it comes down to him. a lot for me. Absolutely. Is like who is willing to accept everybody? You know, like who is willing to provide a, a, a safe country for everybody mm-hmm. that lives here? You know, and that's and where you got to go. That's where you got to go. Yeah. yeah. And un- why is it? Why is that the, the thing? Like, it's horrible. The others. Why is the other side like? trying to curtail rights it's i think out of fear but i don't know that we shouldn't get we shouldn't dive into politics right now no no but but i will say that i feel like science fiction in general comes from the side of preaching compassion and like showing you what the other side is like mm-hmm. so that you can understand them and you can uh learn to appreciate them and fear them less and you know absolutely of whatever side it is that you're on of whatever situation exactly exactly yeah so 
perhaps that's what we will get in season three. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of it in season two, so I think we will in season three as well. And I'm hoping personally to get more of uh, of uh, Lamar's character. Yeah, more story he line. is not well used. He's not well used. But to be fair, it's also very clear to me that he's not the strongest actor on the show. But yeah, um, well, I feel like they cast him well, but then they changed his character when he became the chief engineer. Yeah, and then they and now like he's not cast well anymore. Yeah. If that makes sense. And they did, he didn't get any storyline of his own None. in season two. He yeah. had one episode in season one. Yeah. Where they made him chief engineer. And, well, uh, right? is that the same Is that the same episode where uh, he kind of dances on the statue on that planet? Oh, that and, is a different and episode. And it's the social media. Yeah. So I guess he had two episodes yeah. in yeah. season one. Yeah. 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 My mistake. But Yeah. that And I don't even remember because like season one is a bit of a blur to me. I watched it a while back. Yeah. But... I I really like him, and I liked him being promoted, but then I feel like they just put him away. Yeah. They, like, put him in engineering and put him away. Yeah. And it's so funny, because it's the same exact... He is Jordy LaForge. You know, he was... Right. Like, his name is similar. Like, <laughs> he was in the same position on the bridge, and then they put him in engineering. And, but but then Jordy continued to have compelling storylines. Right. And Lamar hasn't. Not And it really so feels far. like a shame. Yeah. Yeah. But they've serviced a lot of the other characters really well. How do you feel about the new... What is the new Alara's name? I forget. Uh, Kiali? Kiali, yeah, that sounds right. Uh I actually really Uh like her. I do too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think she's a great addition. But, you know, uh, Alara came back for a small cameo the the season finale. Yeah, and I wonder... I'm not sure what that means, but... I wonder why she left. Did you look into that? I couldn't find anything substantial. Hmm. My my feeling, but, my gut feeling was maybe she had some sort of health issue and maybe that's what inspired mm, that story. Oh, wow. I really related to that because like I haven't been able to work for close to three years now, you uh, know? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm dealing with my own health stuff and mm. watching this character need time to go heal and regain strength was... You know, I know what that feels like to like pull out of the world that you are in yeah. to do what you need to do for your body Absolutely. and have other people react to that in, in one way or another. And the way that family reacts to that is, you know, mm. an interesting thing to to look at in that episode in particular. And I thought that that was a brilliant way to go with it. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I disliked a single episode in season two. No, no. And I, and I really like, I really like Alara and I really like um, Kelly they brought in um we'll see what happens yeah. i would love to see alara back um, yeah. and i would love to see more development with this new character though too sure like if you're gonna bring bring her in and she looks so similar and is fulfilling the same role and is the same race like what is different about this character yeah totally and they did a little bit of that when she was interested in that um Mocklin scientist yeah which was yeah. another great episode yeah yeah and I, I feel like I got to know her a little bit through that and through her relationship with the young Kelly. Yeah. Abs- oh, yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah, the character writing is really solid. I yeah. mean, she's a new character I feel like I know better than most yeah. other shows, other characters. Like, I know her better than I know Daenerys Targaryen on Game of Thrones. Um, what do you want in season three? Well, I want more, of, uh, like I said, more of Lamar. More Lamar. And I want them to be done with uh, Ed and Kelly Yeah, uh, as a relationship. I guess Those you are said mine. several yeah. things. And and I I mean I guess yeah those are the main two I think that with Bordis and the Mocklin, uh culture 
I, I would like to see if they're going to continue to do Mocklin stories. I want to see something new. Hmm. Um, I, what, just, I want to see Topa wrestling with their sexuality. I think, I think that would be smart, especially because the, in the episode where they go through with the surgery and, um, well, it's revealed in that episode that Clyden mm-hmm. um, was born female. Right. Um, but and they kind of make that you felt... think it was going to be Bordis, but then it ends up being Clyden. And it's Clyden, but then they kind of gloss over that. To me, it felt like a missed opportunity because he didn't really then talk about how it affected him. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, Clyden is like a fundamentalist Mocklin. And absolutely. he's like 100% into the old ways, into the tradition of his culture, and he doesn't question it. And it's so interesting that he's the one who was forced to become a he. Right. And Bordis really questions his own society and his relationship with all of these humans and other species on the Orville is making him question it. Yeah. And it's like you move to a big city, you meet a lot of people, and then you realize that your fundamentalist beliefs are maybe a little too strict. Mm-hmm. And that's been a great story too. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to see that being taught to his child because mm. I feel like Clyden is teaching him the or teaching Topa the opposite, and we'll just use he for Topa because at this point Topa's yeah. a he. Yeah. Um. But uh, I w- I would love to see Topa feel Topa reveal to to his parents that he's actually a she. He is transgendered, and then finds out that he he was born a she and was forced yeah. to be otherwise. I think that could be a really interesting story. I maybe would wait a couple years though and like do it when Topa's a teenager because yeah, I, I yeah. just think you want to get a the actor be old enough to really know what to do, you know, with selling that as a role. Um, but I think that could be a really powerful story, but I, I, it would be nice to get something a little like every episode about Mocklins is about gender identity so far. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I want more of that, but you're right that it would be nice to have some more variety. Yeah. Yeah. Like them smoking cigarettes more. That was great. I loved that. And then, like, going to that dance party. That was the same episode where Kelly was back. The past Kelly was back. Because they went to that program that she made of that, like, dance club. Yeah. Which I loved. Well, hey, man, this has been fucking awesome. Yeah. It is such a pleasure to do this again. It's been so long. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we'll have to make it not, like, three years the next time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be yeah. back. Maybe talk more uh, Last Jedi. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we can make that happen. Or when you watch Discovery Season 2, let me know, because I want to talk to you about that. Yeah, will do, will nice. do. Is there anything you got going on that you want to plug? Yeah, um, I am... So, in the world of the web, there is a web series called The Panel Jumper, which is uh, a comic book... Uh, a web series about comics history and lore and everything to do with that. Uh, each episode... Uh, uh, takes on a specific theme or a specific character or a specific specific time period in comics history, and I am writing uh, the next episode, co-writing with Cole Hornaday, uh, and it's all about black superheroes. Oh, cool! So I'm 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 entrenched in in history and books and doing all this stuff, and uh, I'm really really excited. It's we've got some great stuff planned, and we'll be shooting that episode later on this year in a, in a few months and then it should be out by uh before the end of the year so be on the lookout for that the panel jumper we have a facebook we also have instagram you can search us find us really easily and the youtube series of course awesome yeah, yeah. that sounds really cool actually yeah <laughs> I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> who's your favorite black superhero whoa okay <laughs> 
So that's, I mean, that's hard. I, but you know, I think I really love, um, oh, you know what? I got to go. I'm going to say three. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm just cause I can, but, uh, right now I really love steel, which is the, the, uh, for lack of better language, the black version of Superman. When Superman dies in the comics, um, four, uh, Superman come up to replace him basically in metropolis and one of those is a character named steel his 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 uh everyday name is uh, john henry irons mm-hmm. um playing off of the black folk hero john henry right right and he carries a big hammer and he's got this steel uh costume and carries this big hammer wow i don't really know anything like, about steel exactly and that's it's, interesting and yeah and it's so great because it is this isn't a perfect example of of taking something that is established and creating something new that's not just a derivative knockoff he is the black superman if you look at it at if you take it at face value uh-huh. but because his name is john henry irons and he has that he has that history and that legacy with a black folk hero right who specifically has this relationship right because he's like driving the rivets and he tries to outdo the machine and he ends up beating the machine but then he dies as a result right so you're talking about specifically uh uh, african-americans um struggles in america especially with with employment and all of these different things and having to exist in this particular system right so uh he's not just the black version of superman he uh, exemplifies something else entirely, mm-hmm. and take that to take that a step further. When you go further along in the comics, because when he starts out, he's in the he you know has your pretty stereotypical black superhero uh, storylines, which is I gotta clean up the hood, I got gotta <laughs> save the ghetto, and take out drug pushers and stuff like that. But he really starts to actually take on some galactic missions and fights some aliens and monsters and other stuff. And then, so now you're starting to get into this realm of Afrofuturism. Mm. So it really takes on a different life. So that's my wow. dude right now. But is, I also Is that love... currently being published or is this like... No. Okay. So there's like older yeah, books this, you got to Yeah, there's check older out. books. Yeah, there's about 50, 50, 52 issues, something like that, <laughs> of the original run. Um, and then there was a poorly made... <laughs> film adaptation starring Shaquille O'Neal. Really? Yeah, which did not do well for a lot of reasons. Oh, fascinating. The main reason being it was terrible and and had little to do with the comic. So did he only get one run of 52 issues? Did he ever come back? Or does he show up in like Justice League books or anything at any point? He does have a few other... um, I think that his... I believe that is his only full run by himself. Okay. But I think he does have some other uh, storylines and you know cameos and other i really want to check that out i I actually dc is if i when i read comics in like superhero comics dc is usually what i read yeah dc is fascinating and green and so green lantern was going to be my other one the john stewart version right john stewart um yeah yeah he's my guy too yeah nice (laughs) was who's the third oh who's the third uh i think i think i was gonna say sam wilson Nice. Uh, right now, I'm also reading the his turn as Captain America. Nice. In the comics. And, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was great. You're always such a pleasure to chat with. Uh, I, I don't see you often enough in real life either. Uh, we should make that happen. I know. Like, remember that time we watched uh, Wolf Cop? <laughs> I do. 
It was one of the most glorious moments of my life. It was a good night. And I, you know what? I bought Wolf Cop 2 on Blu-ray. So I, so. Oh my God. <laughs> we'll make it, we'll have another movie night. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was great to see you. Great to have you on the show. And I hope to have you back again soon. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you.